You're listening to TopCast, this old pinball's online radio. For more information, visit them anytime, www.marvin3m.com slash TopCast. Welcome to another edition of TopCast. We have a very special guest tonight. Uh, This is our Sunday show. Uh, Normally we would be doing a technical show on Sundays, but tonight... Uh, we got lined up a very, very special guest that I'm going to introduce in just a second. Uh, he's a former Williams employee, and he's worked actually at everywhere from Game Plan to Gottlieb to Williams. It's, it's, his career is pretty amazing. He's really stretched across a lot of companies, and he has a lot of experience. I think he's going to be, you know, really interesting to talk to and. uh Going in just a second. Hold on a second. All right. Special guest. Special guest. Special guest. Special guest. Okay, I would like to introduce John Trudeau. Hi, John. How are you? Can you hear me okay? I hear you fine. How are you? Good, good, good. So let me just get your level up a little bit so we can all hear you nice on the air. So, John. If you got a second, I'd love to talk to you about your career. Is that is, is that okay? Oh, sure. Okay. Well, I'm here. <laughs> All right, great, great. Really appreciate it. I really appreciate you coming on. So, I, I'm looking at the Internet Pinball Database, and I saw your very, very first game was Global Warfare by Game Plan in 1981. But they only made ten of these games, and it looks like from there you bailed and went to Gottlieb. Is there, like, a story behind that? Uh, yeah, Global Warfare was uh, Game Plan's attempt to get into the mid-size pinball machine market. Uh, it, it was wider than a, a conventional pinball. And their um, sharpshooter and Coney Island games that uh, were doing pretty good for them. And uh, they just decided to, to try their, uh, you know, their luck with a, a wider format. The, I didn't do the design on that. I did the artwork on that game. Oh, were, were you an artist to, to start? That's what got me into the uh, design area, the engineering area of, uh, of the industry. Prior to that, I had been working uh, out in the factory uh, doing uh, game testing and quality control. So how long did you work at, uh, at Game Plan 4? I started in 79, and I... Worked, I believe, till about '82, and that's when uh, Game Plan decided they didn't want to make pinball machines anymore. And I was still just getting my feet wet. <laughs> so uh, there was an ad in one of the uh, trade publications for a game designer, a pinball game designer, and I responded to it and uh, got picked up at Gottlieb. Wow. Okay, so. Let's back up, though, a little further. How did you get your job at Game Plan? I mean, did you always were interested in pinball, or was this something that, you know, you just happened across, or because you were an artist, it just kind of ended up there? No, the, uh, the job at Game Plan was just something that I, was, I did for myself to uh, change the direction of my life. I was uh, an offset pressman prior to that, uh, doing okay, making a good dollar, but it wasn't much fun anymore. And I decided to do something else. I had some electronics training when I was in the Air Force. And I thought I'd just try something for a little while. And I got 
like I said, I got uh, hired as a uh, game tester. And I would take the games that came off the line, supposedly finished, <laughs> and make them work right. And so I had to troubleshoot them. When, when you say make them work right, was there, was there like uh, inherent issues with game plans? You're saying those were worse than, say... No, 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 no. no. I mean, this is typical of any production. Uh, the game, the, the product comes down, supposedly put together and built correctly. And some are, but most aren't. There's little things that have to be tweaked. And sometimes things don't work quite right. And these games, while they're being produced, aren't being tested electrically. So when they get to the uh, the final testers, that's uh, where, where they get shaken down pretty pretty well. Okay, so tell me about the Gottlieb job then. Well, I got hired over at Gottlieb about 82, and I had left at uh, Game Plan a, a layout for Attila the Hunt, which was shelved and not produced until many years later. But Going forward to Gottlieb. Uh, I got no, I when you say so, you designed Attila the Hunt, or you did the artwork for it? No, I, I designed it. Okay, that was that was my first game that I actually uh, designed and laid out. And how did you how did you feel about them releasing it many years later? I was delighted. I uh, I thought it was just uh, you know something that was just going to be gone. I had uh, a few sketches of my own on it, and not much else. It uh, it made it up to I don't even remember. Yeah, I believe we made a Whitewood of it. And that was about as far as we got. And they put it in there a little more because they stopped making pinball. Well, Game Plan re-entered the pinball machine again, uh, market again, I guess, I want to say late 80s, mid to late 80s. And lo and behold, I went to a trade show and there was, there was uh, a fellow of the hunt sitting there. Was that a good design for you? Uh, it was my first design. <laughs> put it that way. Uh, it was okay. And, uh, I had learned to design without, uh, uh, how do I say it, uh, with a lot of economy in mind. There wasn't a, a budget to speak of at Game Plan. Everything was being uh, played pretty close to the best as far as cost was concerned. So if we could recycle parts that uh, we used on the previous game, we did. Hmm. And that's uh, pretty much the way Attila turned out. There was a lot of things that I had left in it that didn't turn out in the final game because of economy measures. So then you went to Gottlieb and you designed Rocky. That was my first production game. Okay, and, and how did that come out in your opinion? That came out pretty good. Uh, that uh, was uh, an unusual layout with the what we call the split flippers. But there was a left and right on two pairs of left and right flippers. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Literally. And uh, it, it worked well for the uh, wider game. And it made two narrow play fields out of one big play field that you couldn't get the, the wide shot at. Hmm. And did you ever meet the, any of the actors in the movie or anything? No, I mean, Sylvester Stallone was supposed to come by. And, uh, well, there was a rumor he was going to come by. And he didn't. He was in um, Chicago for a promotion for, I believe it was Rocky Three, because that's where this was supposedly game was supposedly in Rocky 3, and he, I guess his schedule just didn't permit. Okay. So you never got to meet him? No, never got to meet him. I still have a backlash, so I figured someday maybe I'll run into him and have him sign it. <laughs> All right, speaking of which, how many of these games did you ever, did you, I mean, do you have, like, one of each of your games that you designed? 
No, I wish I did. <laughs> no, I don't have any games right now. My the last game I, I technically still have is my uh, my son has it. He has the Flintstones. But everything else I uh, I had to get rid of, but for one, one reason or another. Right. Yeah, we'll get to, get to that because you moved all over the place, uh, like in the uh, in the late nineties, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then you did uh, you did Spirit and Striker and Crawl, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is a really cool game. Oh, thanks. Um, I mean, Tim, I've played the one that Tim Arnold has, and um, well, you uh, consider yourself fortunate. There's only ten of those, too. Right, right. Now, what did, what was the deal with that? Why didn't that ever get produced? Uh, pinball at that time was uh, fighting for its life, and video was just pretty much eating up the market. Crawl was a, a collaborative uh, effort with Columbia Pictures, and to with their release of their supposedly big movie, which turned out to be kind of a clunker. And I think the best part of the movie was probably the pinball machine. Right. <laughs> Unfortunately. But uh, it came out, we uh, we had two actual uh, designers work on it. There were, I worked on one design, and Ed Krinsky was working on another. Oh, at the same time? At the same time, and they were both crawl concepts. And you won out? Well, yeah. Only because it was more buildable. Uh, uh, Ed had a, a, a great idea, with, which involved a, uh, a clear upper playfield. The entire playfield was made out of a sheet of plexiglass, uh, half inch, and uh, everything was mounted on that. And it was pretty much an open board, of course. And but when the the effect of the lower playfield lighting up was really dramatic because it was like a window. Right. You know, the whole thing was, was really great. But I guess there were a lot of uh, construction problems, manufacturability problems involved with uh, using that, that piece. So mine was a you know a more conventional approach to uh, manufacturing a pinball machine. What, did they think that maybe the plastic would crack or something? I'm sorry, what? Did they think the plastic might crack or something? Well, they weren't sure. There was nothing, uh, there was uh, no uh, history. To go to go on something like that would have to be tested definitely for a long period of time. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So um, then you went to another game that actually is really cool, but they didn't make a ton of. Qbert's Quest. That was a you know that's another kind of cool game. You know I I mean I once again Tim Arnold I, I've I've played his mm-hmm. and uh, I thought that was a, a really kind of a neat game. It's a hard game to find too. Oh man. It's an unusual game, I'll say that much for it. Right, right. There again, we were trying to emulate the video game. The Godly had a successful video game, Gilbert, and they wanted to say, well, let's, you know, spin off something. Let's make a pinball machine. I said, okay. So the game rules on, on Gilbert's Quest pretty much follow the video game. Now, how much creative... Um I mean, how creative did Gottlieb let you get? I mean, could could you pretty much do what you wanted, or were there was there a set of game rules or con- constraints that that you always had to follow? Well, I think the biggest contributing factor was budget. And uh, if I could uh, show them, I could bring a uh, a game concept to uh, manufacturability within a, a given budget, I was probably given the go ahead. And I mean, how do they put budget? I mean, how how does that work? Well, it's literally a, a totaling of the cost of the, of 
producing the game. Uh, screws are so much, flat rails are so much, posts are so much, and and mechanisms, especially the mechanisms. So they, they got an accountant following you around all day then? Well, not really, but we knew how much a, a, a pop-up or assembly would cost, how much that's going to throw into the game. And so uh, we didn't make games with, uh, you know, 17 pop-uppers on it because not only would it not be fun, but it'd be very expensive. Right, right, right. Now, here's another good one. Your, your nickname is Dr. Flash. Yeah. Okay, now where, how, where did that come from? That came from my... Uh, from a friend of my Python Angelo, we worked together when I first started at Williams on two games simultaneously. And I guess he, he in his uh, demonstrative effort to, to describe what we were doing, he says, "Man, you are like Doctor Flash." And I guess it just stuck from then on. It was funny. Wow. So and now, of all the artists you worked with, I mean, did you have a favorite? I believe the last fellow I worked with, I really enjoyed working with Kevin O'Connor. Okay. Yeah, we did uh, well, a good four or five games, and we had one in the, in the works, too. And the, he was a, a very accomplished artist. You're talking about Aces? Right. Okay, well, let's, we'll talk to that a little later. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to spoil that surprise just okay. yet. Yeah, that's because that's a good one. That's a good surprise. So, okay, so then going down the, the Golden Gottlieb Road, mm-hmm. you did um, uh, the game's touchdown, Ice Fever, and the Chicago Cubs triple play. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, and now the Chicago, or all those games, Rock, Raven, Rock Encore, Hollywood Heat, Genesis, Goldwing, Monte Carlo, all those games, I mean, was there anything that stuck out as, like, you know, one of your favorites, something that you really enjoyed? I did enjoy Hollywood Heat. It was, you know, a, a takeoff of uh, Miami Vice. Right. And it looked good. And for our uh, cutting-edge soundboard at the time, it sounded good at the time. And uh, it was a lot of fun to play. That was, that was a, uh, a pretty little uh, cool game, I thought. No, I noticed that Gottlieb did this a lot. They took... Um, you know, namesake cinema releases and kind of twisted them a little bit so they didn't have to actually get the license. You yeah. know, and that was, this is of course a classic example of that. Well, oh, definitely. The uh, only license up till that time, now that we're talking, to, now we're talking to Premiere Days. Right, we'll right. I, I kind of, I call Premiere and Gottlieb the same. I'm sorry, that's kind of my... Well, no, no, the, it's, the, it was the same product. But it, it definitely was a, a different uh, yeah, different set of owners, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, Columbia Pictures had bought the uh, Gottlieb Game Company from the Gottliebs, and then uh, Coca-Cola bought Columbia Pictures. Is that the Milestar? Yeah, Mile right. Star? That's when they tried to change it to Milestar, and it was a big fiasco. Right, and then a uh, a large game distributor in New York mm-hmm. bought Gottlieb. And that was Premier. They bought the pinball assets. Right. 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 That was the vision. Right. And and when and through these changes, I mean, you worked through them all. And I mean, how was the transition from one owner to the next? Oh, it wasn't bad at all. Uh, everybody was pulling in the same direction. It was it was a lot of fun, actually. I got to build the company from scratch. Right. Uh, myself and and uh, two or three other key personnel. Uh, were taken, hired from uh, Gottlieb, and 
I guess he wanted to to find out, you know, the minimum amount of uh, personnel to start a company and yeah. do it well. And he got, he got some good people. Mr. Shelberg wants to ask a nice question. <laughs> okay, Jim, go. Hey, um, I know during the time of, of rock, there was a lot of publicity uh, with the local radio station. And I, I can barely hear you, Jim. During the time of rock, there was a lot of publicity. Oh, rock? Uh, yeah. Uh -huh. uh, with the local radio station that went on TV. There was a whole big... Uh, whole yeah, big we had a lot of fun with that. Yeah, yeah we did a, uh, a tournament at a, uh, an Aladdin's Castle, which was a... Uh, yeah, huge arcade. A huge arcade chain. And we had like a dozen rock pinballs, and we did a tournament there. That was a lot of fun. And we were covered by a, a program called Rock on Chicago. And was the machines, I mean, did the, the name of the machine actually, you know, reflect this Rock on Chicago thing, or was this all just, like, laid out as a big promotion? No, it, it was just, it was a coincidence that they uh, they came on to, to do their, uh, their broadcast with us. Gotcha. Because the game was named Rock. So when you went from Gottlieb to Milestar to, to Premiere, was this, like, two complete inventions of Gottlieb, you know, when Milestar took it over? And then Premier took it over. Was it like literally building the company from you know from the ground up, like you were saying? Yeah. It so really you was. did it twice. The only, thing, the only thing that saved us is the familiarity that uh, the, the hires for the new company brought with them. We knew how to build the games. So when we bring brought our same virtually the same assets over to the new company, we just continued on. And and they were. Your, your location was always the same. It was just who was cutting the paycheck and calling the shots, right? Well, the location changed, too. Gottlieb's production and, and uh, engineering was in North Lake, Illinois. Right. And they had a plant in Bensonville that I believe was doing uh, the PC boards and other prep work. Our production, when it was reformed, everything moved to the Bensonville facility. And so we walked into a, a building that you could throw a bowling ball down from one corner to the other and not hit anything. <laughs> wow. And we moved everything in. And there even was a mezzanine built for engineering, so they doubled their size. And uh, fortunately, the ceilings were high enough so we could get away with it. <laughs> right. So now, by 1988, you know, your last Gottlieb premiere game was Excalibur. Nope. No? Nope. Deadly Weapon. Deadly... Oh, right, 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 right. Okay, I'm sorry. That's okay. Uh, because I'm seeing... I'm seeing International. I'm yeah, well, then, then there's those couple of cocktail machines in there, and Silver Slugger. Right, and Silver Slugger. And then Deadly Weapon. And then Deadly Weapon. But here's the... Here's the big question. Mm -hmm. 1986. Demons. Mm-hmm. Now, this game did not get produced, correct? Oh, no, no, no. It was just a concept thing. And... But it's a really cool concept because you actually were doing kind of a pinball 2000 type projection thing of targets on the playfield or through the playfield or something, right? Right. It was the, it was a reflection, right, of the uh, of little statues that I had hung up in, in an upper back box area that would light up and change color, and then if you hit the target, you know they would fade out. He, he was successfully uh, killed that little demon. <laughs> now, why wasn't that ever produced, or that concept ever used? I don't know. I guess it was just a matter of time. Uh, Premier 
we were I was the only game designer for a number of years. And I was pretty much involved with just, you know, getting it getting the next game done and meeting production. So what happened to that demon's prototype? It was destroyed. Oh. Yeah, it was destroyed before that one was actually done at Gottlieb. Okay. So, so you mean it was way before eighty six? Yeah, it was it was in uh, I don't want to say about the time of Crawler somewhere or Hubert's Quest. I was working on that maybe a little after that. Wow, and nobody else ever picked up this idea. Uh, not that I know. I uh, had another. I did do another presentation of something similar to it at Premier, and I did have a white wooden working prototype. <clears throat> and uh, there again, I think it was cost more than anything else that uh, it, it didn't. I had a, in instead of a. a these little figurines or, or whatever, I had another playfield inverted up in, in an upper level back box that would that reflected off the glass, and the ball was trapped between the glass and and the playfield with a single level, of course, and the ball actually rode on the glass. Now that, that's a really cool thing. What year was that? <laughs> that's a good one. Uh, or which game was oh, it? Oh, yeah, I'm trying to look through my little book here. Maybe it was Spring Breakish type thing? Yeah, Victory. Victory, Spring Break. Yeah, yeah those are right out. Yeah, Sector, around that, that, that area. Yeah, the, the reason why I knew, the only reason I knew about Demons, because Demons is not in the Internet Pinball database. No, it's just it was just a prototype game. Right, right. The only reason I knew about it is in the July 2000 issue of Pin Game Journal. Mm-hmm. I saw the article in there, and there was just a... Just a few, like almost blurry pictures of the whole thing, and it's like such a tease. That was that was the Polaroid. That's what all I, I was, you know, I was lucky. I shot those Polaroids. <laughs> there was nothing else. Right. And I did have a video. Oh, you of mean the, you? Of the game in operation? I believe uh, I gave that to Jim too. Really? He didn't mention that. <laughs> Thank you very much, Mr. Shelberg. <laughs> He didn't mention that. Uh, I'll have to abscond that from him. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll tie him up on the front of his car tonight. There you go. There you go. <laughs> and throw let, let the kid out of the bag, huh? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so now, you're you're basically building games. You're using the System 80 platform. Uh-huh. Now, how did you feel about the System 80 platform? Because, you know, the, the reputation for System 80 wasn't as good as we'd all like. Um, I mean, how, as a designer, did you feel about it? It had uh, a good number of capabilities, and its reliability wasn't stellar. We had the uh, problem with uh, the flasher lamps. We were, for a while there, didn't want to even put them under the playfield because they would get stuck in the on position, and they would actually melt the plastic inserts. Right. So, for a while, we were designing with them just in areas that it didn't really matter if they stayed on and melted something. Right, until they burned out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that did get uh, taken care of in the, in the next uh, iteration. And we put watchdog circuits in and the programming and everything else, but it just, it was, nothing was 100%. And now you were there when they transitioned to Gottlieb System 3, uh, which was their new board system, which right. actually is a killer system. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, that yeah was, excellent. It was, uh, designed by John Burris, who's a great guy. Great John, what was the designer's name? John Burris, B-U-R-A-S. Ooh, 
You're going to have to give me his phone number. And something. <laughs> I want. Well, to he did. Him. He did some games too. He did Bounty Hunter. Oh, really? Yeah, and he did uh, Rack 'Em Up. Yeah, he he didn't do a lot of games, but he every once in a while he got the you know the inkling says ah, I think I might do a game. Did he have something to do with Black Hole too? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Yeah, okay. he did the uh, the conversion from the uh, the original prototype and, and made it uh, made it a game. Right, because that uh, that was an outside concern that actually mm-hmm. designed that brought it in, and you guys took the ball and ran. Yeah, I came in about the time that they were ready to uh, release uh, the game for samples. They were start to, they were going to build samples with. Uh, they were actually in production of Mars when I went into Galileo. Oh, okay. Okay. That's actually a pretty good game, too. I, I like that one. That was a John Beers game, too. Okay. Okay. So now, the um, you were also there for the, quote, street-level games. Mm-hmm. The games where they made the cabinets a little smaller, they made everything a little less expensive, and all the play fields were single-layer, no ramps, none right. of that kind of stuff. Right, at Premiere, right. Right, at Premiere. Mm-hmm. And this was about the same time that... Um, you know, late 80s, early 90s, actually I think it was about 1990 that uh, maybe Williams was putting out kind of like a funhouse type games. That was like what you were competing against. How, how did you feel about that? Well, actually we were a little before that era. Uh, yeah, 88, 89, right? Yeah, no, funhouse. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And funhouse was a little late. It was like more like you were competing against Whirlwind and stuff. Yeah. I, you know, I almost, I can't recall us competing Having that kind of competition, we were we were aiming at another niche as far as the marketplace was concerned. And the leadoff game was uh, Silver Slugger, on that. right? And it was re- received very well, and we had a lot of success with that game. We sold, I, I'm not sure production numbers, but I think we did pretty good on that game. Uh, 2100 of Silver Slugger. Well, that's pretty good for guy, for uh, Premier. Yeah, actually, that is pretty decent. Um, well, it, it's funny. I I do uh, I do some repairs for people, mm-hmm. and this one guy has a Silver Slugger, and he calls me about once a year to come service it. And this guy, he plays the bejesus out of this game. I mean, <laughs> every time I go there, this thing is filthy, and I got to re-rubber it every year for him because he just he literally wears the thing out. Well, and he, he, he always tells me, he says, you know, I hate those games with all those fancy rules and the ramps. He goes, this thing's got flashers, and it's got, you know, modern features, good displays, you know, stuff that that is, you know, more in the newer games, but it's got an older feel to it where things are a much simpler time. And he just, I can't get the guy to shut up about it. He just yeah. going on and on and on, you know. But that's what he likes. He thought yeah. it was great. Unfortunately, uh, that was the only game that I really... Uh, saw through to the end as far as a single level game like that over at Premiere. I, I did Deadly Weapon, but I wasn't there to finish it. That was uh, finished up by committee. Oh, really? So it really wasn't my game at the end. I mean, it was my design, yes. But uh, I didn't have anything to do with it. I had left Premiere at that time. Now, your your transition was from Premiere to, of course, Midway Valley Williams. Mm-hmm. How, now, how did that come about? Well, I think it was... It was a time for a change for me. I wasn't really pleased with the direction that uh, Premiere was going with their games. And I decided just to uh, run my contract to the end. And we parted amicably. And I went to work for Williams. I had uh, met Steve Kordick, 
a number of years before. He was a fan of my uh, Chicago Cubs game. <laughs> and we always talked about, you know, old-style pinball. We, we became good friends. And so when I called Steve up, I said, hey, Steve, I need a job. He says, get out of town. So it was a big surprise to him. And uh, I went over and had lunch with him. And then he brought me in and talked to Ted Pedesa. I believe Neil Castro at the time. I'm not sure, but... Uh, yeah, and then he decided to bring me out. Okay, well let's uh, let's take a little break. I'm gonna run a commercial and uh, let you uh, you know get a get a drink for your voice and uh, it's sitting right here. Yeah. Okay, it's just H2O. All right, all right. I'm gonna run a commercial and uh, we'll be right back with John Trudeau, uh, famous pinball designer from uh, Gottlieb to uh, Bally Williams and a lot of stuff in between. We'll be right back. The Pin Game Journal is a proud sponsor of TopCast. It covers pinball like no other publication can. The Pin Game Journal is America's only pinball publication. Whether you're looking for new games or the classics, reports on industry shows or collector expos, insights on a game you want or features to help you fix the game you've got, Pin Game Journal is for you. Their website is at pingamejournal.com. Pinsonvids episode two, Attack of the Phones, is now available at pinsonvids.com. It's the best Pinsonvids yet. Double the fun and half the underwear of the first episode. Surely to be nominated for an Oscar for the best use of fake phones in a niche video or best special effects during a dream sequence. Worth much, much more than the six dollars including shipping selling price. It's worth at least seven or seven fifty. Get your copy now at pinsonvids.com. Now for a word from our lawyer. The entire sale price goes to the Pinball Hall of Fame. First episode, also available. Some pinball machines were hurt during the filming of the Pins vids, but they were old. Get your deranged DVDs on Coin Up Goodness now. Okay, we're back with John Trudeau, uh, a uh, pinball designer that worked through Gottlieb and Premier and Williams and a lot of other stuff in between that we haven't even gotten to yet. So, John, so you, you made your transition um, through via Kordak, right? Yeah, yeah, to- yeah. Yeah, it's a Bally Williams, which I, I think is just really kind of cool. Steve and I, uh, we share the love of, of of the layout of the game and the, and, and the flow of the game. And I'm sure all the designers feel pretty much the same. So uh, I, it was like a kindred spirit as far as uh, putting me on at Williams. I don't think there was any second thought about it. Okay. Now, I had a good reputation as far as turning product around, too. Great. And your first game was the, the Bugs Bunny Birthday Bash. Right. Or Birthday Ball, I should say. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I always want to say Bash. BBBB. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, tell me about that design and, and, and how the licensing was and working with, you know, a, a new set of people and a new company. Right. I was uh, into, into the fire, so to speak, <laughs> um, because we're not only doing Bugs Bunny, we were also doing uh, the machine, right at Pinbot. Right. Oh, you were doing that simultaneously. That's where the Doctor Flash moniker came from. <laughs> okay. So while we were doing the machine, we were doing Bugs Bunny. We actually did manage to get in a uh, trip to uh, California to the Warner Brothers Studios for uh, the Bugs Bunny licensing, and uh, Python did a just a stellar rendition of all the characters. I. Uh, He's a fantastic artist, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if Warner Brothers didn't want him to do their do their artwork for him. Well, you mean he did? So I, you know, on a lot of licenses, literally the 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 licensing company hands you 
the artwork that they want. Like I understand, like with for Family Guy on Stern's new offering, that that was the case. Like the translate was done by the Family Guy people. They just literally handed it to Stern and said, "This is what you're using." Are you saying that when you worked uh, with Warner Brothers, that you guys had complete creative freedom? We were given a style guide, and we had a con- con- uh, be conventional to this style guide. But we were free to do anything within good taste that we wanted to. And Python had an idea about you know making this a big birthday ball because it was his uh, 50th anniversary coming up, which was perfect for us. And I was just a, I've been a Looney Tunes fan since forever. And uh, I had an idea for that, that little reverse play field that I wanted to try to incorporate. So that all went together on that game. But every bit of his artwork, his pencils, had to be approved by Warner Brothers. And they were very, very happy with his work. It so, was all original artwork. And the the painting itself, I believe, was done by John Yowsey. So when he did the artwork, I mean, was there a lot of revisions, or they he basically did it, handed it to him, and they said, yeah, that's yeah, good? Yeah, the revisions that came back were really, really minor. Uh, <laughs> it was maybe the shape of a foot here or there. It was just like and, and even those could have been um, argued about, you know, as far as it, it relates to their style guy. But I think they had a, felt like they had to find something. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So it was it was really nice. So your who was your design team for for the Bugs Bunny? Oh boy, that's a good one. I had a fellow named uh, oh, Jim. I, you know, I can't even recall. Well, I'm sure Larry DeMar probably did your software, right? No. No? Jim Lee, I want to say. Okay, yeah, no. Uh, he did a couple other games there, too. And, uh, Sounds... Yeah, that was the other thing I was going to ask you about. Sounds, sounds may have been Paul Heitch. Now, the the character voices, how were those done? Those are done from Warner Brothers. So did you give them a, just hand them a script and say yes. we need these? Yes, pretty much. And so it wasn't done. I mean, it wasn't done in your studio at all. Then. No, no, they they did the character voices. Now I, you know, I'm not. I don't know a complete history of the Warner Brother, um, you know, Looney Tune voices, but there was like one guy that did that. <laughs> yeah. Well, there was. And one Mel guy. Blank. Now was it Mel or Mel's son that did this one? It was probably Mel's son. Okay. Yeah, uh, Mel was getting up there at that point. Yeah, I, I didn't know when he and the only when he passed. The only uh, speech call that we lifted off of a cartoon because it was a late entry in in the game was Supper Succotash. Oh, really? Yeah, and uh, can you hear the difference? No, not at all. Not at all. So you now, why didn't you just lift everything out of that and save well, yourself the trouble? They, did, they didn't have uh, the speech calls that we needed, you know. You know oh, like right, right. The, yeah, there's no, you know, you know, shoot extra ball in, uh, in any cartoon that you no. can steal. No. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, you're right. That was a silly question. Sorry. <laughs> okay. All right. So now you made um, 2,500 of the Bugs Money, but then you went to the machine, Bride of Pinbot, mm-hmm. and you cranked out over 8,000 of those babies. Mm-hmm. So that must have been, you know, uh, uh, you must have been pretty proud of that. Oh, that was a good game. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, that was a cool effort. I mean, Python did a lot on that, too. Uh, besides the artwork, he had uh, 
started with the uh, initial layout that I came in and uh, and finished pretty much. There were a few shots that weren't there that ended up being there. Uh, the heartbeat ramp, uh, the, the the second level play field. I made it. I wanted to make it look uh, more like a sequel than it was looking at that time. And I brought in that that second plastic play field where the ball just bounced around on the little course of mini posts. Right, as kind of a, a tribute that was in the to original the original, pinball. right? So I wanted to make it kind of look like the original pinball, but yet not. Yeah, I mean the whole thing with the turning faces. Oh, that was Python's idea. That was Python's, okay. Yes, yes. That was pretty cool. Oh, yeah, definitely. You yeah. know, and it had serious sexual overtones. <laughs> That's Python. <laughs> so you're not taking credit for that, huh? Oh, I wish I could. <laughs> Python, he says, you know, look where we're putting the heart, and look where this little space engine's going to be walking around here, and then... <laughs> He was just having a, a real field day with that game. And now, did Williams, did any of the Williams management, did, did they give you any crap about any of that? Not really. No? They, so no, you no, had... They were pretty good. I mean, everything is, everything there is in good taste. No, oh, yeah, yeah, but I mean, still, I mean, a, a lot could be read into that, you know what I mean? And, well, you know, I guess in the early 90s, maybe things aren't as... Go look as, back at, like, you know, what was it, like 8-Ball. <laughs> the artwork on that is... Is pretty suggestive too. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Now, so now you're working. You've worked at at these three companies: the Game Plan, the Gottlieb, and the you know the Valley Midway Williams. How? I mean, as far as creative license and allowing you do what you want, who was the best? At, so you know, out of these companies? Oh, Williams Valley Midway by far. Was that because you had just more money? Money and time. I think it was more time than anything else. Are you saying that the um, the complete from inception to production was a wider window. Oh, it was more than double what I was working at Premiere. So you're saying Premiere, you were doing a game in two, three months? Sometimes. I mean, what's the longest you had to do a, a game in the game? Maybe Premier? six months. Really? Yeah. And what? Okay. With that in mind, what was what was the longest game in the Gottlieb Premiere series? They, that, they usually ran about a year. But no, I mean, what what was the game that you spent the most time on? I want to say Judge Dredd. Okay. Yeah, that probably took the longest. And what was the longest premiere game that you took? Um, probably either Monte Carlo or Hollywood Heat, one of those two. Okay. So, okay, so... Well, you, I'm going to go back and change that. I'll, I'll say Victory. Victory. Okay, now what was the reasoning for that? Well, that's a double-level play field. Right, and they just gave you more time and in they, that? I had more time to do it because they wanted to do something different and uh, they were trying that... Uh, that playfield coding, that mylar sheet, and I can't recall what it was called. But, uh, it didn't work out. Right. Okay. Okay, so then, <clears throat> after the machine, you did Black Rose, which, it, it's funny, I just was talking to a friend of mine. He is still operating a Black Rose, and um, his name is Trent Augustine. He's actually a really good pinball player. He's uh -huh. ranked fifth in the, in the world in, in competitive pinball. And, you know, we do, as part of our show, we do a thing called Play of the Week. And I asked Trent, I, I, I called him yesterday, I said, Trent, what are we going to do for Play of the Week this week? And he says, let's do Black Rose, man. I'm setting one up right now. And, you know, he started talking very passionately about the game. I mean, you know, and I said, well, you know, how do you feel about that compared to, like, the new Pirates of the Caribbean? And he goes, well, he goes, it's just a less expensive version of that. <laughs> <laughs> Which one was the less expensive 
<laughs> well, yeah, I know. I didn't yeah. ask him that. Maybe I that, uh, that cannon assembly was uh, not cheap. Oh, I bet. I bet. Yeah. Now, was that your idea? Yeah, that was a takeoff on the, uh, the catapult assembly from Big Guns. Really? Yeah, they, that's what was inside the game. We re-engineered it a little bit. So when the catapult threw the ball, the door would open like a hatch, and psh, the ball would come out at at the tangency of the play field. So it would be like shooting the ball flipper. Huh, that's that's interesting. Now, when you came up with that, mm-hmm. um, I mean, did they kind of look at you like, you know, this is going to be really expensive. Are you sure you want to do this? I mean, was that like the thinking, or did they just say, no, come on, we're going to we're going to, we're going to print with this one. Um. When they they let me go as far as getting a prototype built, and then it gets evaluated pretty much. As far and as cost be, and that, it have to be pretty bad for them not to say go ahead. They got a little more conservative as uh, years went on, but uh, at that point, I had a uh, a pretty free hand. Now, who was like who was the the boss that made those yay or nay decisions at that time? Oh, I would say that was Kenny Fedesta and Neil McCastro. Okay. And did they seem like they were pinball guys at the time? <laughs> well, I don't know whether they're really pinball guys ever. They're businessmen. Right. Yeah. Uh, I don't think either one of them were pinball guys. I'm not, I'm not saying anything bad about it. It's that they were, they were, they were businessmen. Because at the same period, the slot division was getting up and off the ground. Hmm. And the pinball division was financing the slot machine division at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, every, you know, dollar that you made for pinball, you know, a certain percentage was going, you know, to the slot division, which was, you know, just bleeding money at the time. Oh, there was a lot of money bleeding <laughs> in all the industry. Okay. Okay. And I was just curious, you know, how, you know, if, if you felt that at all. You know, at this period, no. or if it just was a no, non-factor. As long as we were being successful, and they had a good uh, method of treating their designers and the design team, everybody was happy. Everybody loved to come to work. For my my entire career, I I never went to work. I went to play. Right. And that was for almost twenty years, and that was great. So they had a great way of treating everyone. Their their hours are extremely flexible, and as long as you got the product done on time, they really didn't much care how you got there. Well, how hard did you have to work at, at, at a, you know, in crunch time or whatever? Well, you know, I, I my my crunch time was uh, there were very seldom crunch times for me. I, I'm I'm a pretty organized person. I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a good engineer. Besides being enjoying the design end of it more than in the the engineering end of it. So I understand what is involved in making a mechanism that has to do what I want it to do. A lot of times I handed off a mechanism or a design that was pretty much done, you know, at least in theory, and even in uh, technical drawings. So I I wasn't surprised in the end. My games were notorious for being the smoothest running production pieces that they had in Robert Williams. Wow, that's cool. They loved running my games. 
Now, Mr. Schoberg has a question. on Black Rose. <laughs> <laughs> they hated leveling that thing. <laughs> Don't use this again. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I fix a fair number of Black Roses, and, you know, to be honest with you, the problems that are inherent in that game really don't have a lot to do with the, the playfield design. You know, it's the typical stuff in the electronics that I have mm-hmm. to deal with. Oh no, it was just something that the, it's very, it was very unwieldy. You know, there's a big mechanism. Yeah, you know, the one thing that I find is some on some games I, I can't get it to shoot all the way to the left or all the way to the right. Like I can get it if I adjust it so it's all the way to the right, then it. it it suffers from all the way to the left, so I kind of yeah. gotta strike a median on some games. Make sure that the <laughs> the right cams are in there. Well, I, what, what happens is that they, they, you know, you're talking about a game now that's 15 years old. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah it can, you know, so these parts are worn and they get slop in it. So instead of it pushing it, the cannon all the way to the right or left, you, you know, what happens it is it doesn't make it all the way to the right or left. Right, yeah. because there's slop in there, and, sure. and and you can't get the parts. Sure. So the the hole became a slot. Exactly. That's pushing. Yeah. Right. And then you end up, so, okay, so I always got to ask people, which is more important to you, the right side or the left side? <laughs> and then I have to adjust it accordingly. I, I'd say the left. <laughs> that's because not that's, always their answer. That's the one that locked the ball, though. Oh, right, right. Hey, Mr. Schoberg has got a question. He's been, yes. been raising his hand in the class here. Please, please. Yeah. Me, me, me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, John, um, uh, you pretty much... John, hold on. I can't hear you. Hello? Yeah. Hello yeah. Now. Okay. John, I got a picture of you I took a while back of you sitting in front of a bunch of stand-ups, plastic uh, collector stand-ups. Sorry, sorry to get a little a little collector standpoint here. But you pretty much invented the stand-up idea, did you? Yeah, it was a lark. <laughs> I mean, I it, was it was like a... we had a little bit extra uh, material on this sheet, and I said, I talked to Kevin O'Connor. I said, hey, let's put something together. And I said, I said, how about a stand-up? Said, we can do this, you know, four pieces of plastic. And that's the creature from the Black Lagoon right. stand-up. That, that was the first one. But, I mean, I know often the, the, the real estate on a sheet of plastic is uh, pretty coveted. We kind of snuck that one in. That wasn't real uh, apparent until we got the sheets of plastic in and... That we were doing this, because <laughs> yeah, it's a big piece. So what, was there a complaint? We would have rather have uh, reduced that sheet of plastic by three inches and re-nested all the other parts. Mm. Uh, were they mad? No, 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 no. If they were mad, we wouldn't have been able to do it on. It was like well, this is kind of a waste. But then they, they saw that uh, the reception from the customers, the uh, the uh, distributors, they liked having them. You know, put them up on the games that were uh, on their little desks and stuff. That's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, really cool. Now, the next game was, of course, my favorite game, and a lot of people's favorite game, and that's The Creature from the Black Lagoon. As a matter of fact, I got a, a, a spare play field here hanging in the uh, in the studio, and this game is just gorgeous. Gorgeous, and I mean a great player, and a very tra- and in a lot of ways a very traditional game. Um, you know, the, the multi-ball isn't like, you know, some kind of six-ball frenzy. Well, it's it seems like you know you really captured the whole fifties you know drive-in movie thing you know perfectly. Um, you know, tell me about that game and 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 also the creative you know is, is the licensing and what you were thinking and you know, give me the whole story. No, well, the game originally was titled just Drive-In. Well, that was the original title. Yeah, that was my working title, Drive-In. I always wanted to make a drive-in movie game, 
And then we went from there, and it says, well, you know, what are we going to do with the drive-in movie? Well, there's a lot of things to do with a drive-in movie, which were incorporated in the gameplay. And from then on, it was like, well, you know, we'll go classic gameplay. Drive-ins are uh, really 50s, 60s type things, 40s, 50s, 60s, I should say. And uh, let's go with a classic theme. And then I started thinking about that. And, uh, and something I uh, am a fan of is uh, anything that's 3D. I, I love looking at the little lenticular displays or wearing glasses. I've got some games that, you know, play in 3D. and It's just fun. So I decided, let's try to do something in 3D. So we kicked this uh, ball around for a while. And I said, well, what's the most, uh, what was the most successful 3D? Not only was it uh, a, a great 3D presentation, it was one of, one of if not the most uh, uh, successful underwater shooting ever done up to that time. Okay, now so now you go from Drive-In, which is basically an unlicensed theme, mm-hmm. to Creature from the Black Lagoon, which is definitely something you had to obtain a license for. That's right. So you go knocking on Roger Sharp's door, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And how hard was it to get that license? They thought I was nuts. Well, you know, Roger <laughs> said you were nuts? What do you want with an old black and white movie? <laughs> then wait, I had to did the movie theater it. say you were nuts, or did Roger say you were nuts? <laughs> Roger never said I was nuts. Roger always liked weird ideas, because he came up with plenty of them himself. <laughs> no, Roger never said I was nuts, but I, I did hear a little uh, question from uh, Neil and, and, and Kenny. And they uh, they went with it, though, when they saw the whole idea. And that's when the uh, hologram idea finally came around. Now, who was the inventor of that? Or the, it, you know, I guess you didn't invent the hologram, but I mean, you know, who, whose idea was it to incorporate that in, into the whole setup? I, I wanted to do something in 3D. One of the concepts was actually doing the playfield artwork in that red, green, anaglyph 3D line work. Okay. And actually having to wear the glasses while you play the game. Oh, uh, why didn't you do that? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, where, the, where that's going, that's going to be too tough. Right. <laughs> but, uh, so we did a, a few little pieces with, uh, with the anaglyph artwork on it, and it, was, and it just came out to be okay. So, and it really did uh, uh, stifle your freedom as far as, you know, the gameplay on there was concerned. So I said, well, let's do a hologram. Everybody's been talking about holograms. Let's, let's see if we can do one. So we talked... We, we dug around the country, and everybody, no matter what company we went to, ended up going to Polaroid. They do holograms for everybody, I think. And we went, finally ended up going to Polaroid with this uh, with this idea. So you had to actually show up with some sort of a model for them to make a hologram after, right? Oh, definitely. The holograms are not like photographs. Holograms are real size. Where's that model today? Uh, I have one. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you still have it? Yeah. And because, you know, they, you know, the holograms with time, I can remember back when I got my creature, I paid $500 for it. Wow. Yeah, this is probably in the late 80s, or late <laughs> 90s, I mean. And I thought, you know, this hologram, i got to give me an extra one of those. So I went down to the distributor and I ordered a new hologram, and I think it was $23, to, you know, to get the new hologram from Williams. Cheap it after price. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, I thought it was, you know, what the heck, you know, if something happens, I got it. 
And then, you know, as time marched on, they, they started to become scarce because the, you know, the holograms kind of changed. You know, green is good. Some of them Blue is really bad. That was always the kind of saying, you know they, what I mean? They degraded. Pardon me? Some of them really degraded badly. Right. And I'm, I'm not sure why. only thing I can think of is maybe there was a lot of exposure to light. Some kind of ambient light, either sunlight. I'm not sure if that's the problem either. That's the only thing I can, can suspect. Because I, I've had holograms in my filing cabinet all these years, and they look like brand new. But the only thing that they were in the dark. Right. I, you know, I should go check mine. I've never even looked at it. You well, know, they it's turn, they the turn thickly blue. Yeah. Yeah, like an aqua color. I've seen them that that don't work anymore. So, had, did anybody ever approach you and say, John, we need to borrow that thing so we can make that hologram again? I have to say yes. But I'm not going to expand on that anymore. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. It, well, can you say if you actually did lend it out? Yes, I did. You did. Okay. Okay, because yeah, recently two different individuals actually uh, pr- or produced that or got ready to produce it, but at least one guy did. But now they're like, God, Jim, how much are they? I, I got to say that they're a couple hundred dollars or yeah, something. Please. You know, they're they're, they're not cheap. Mm-hmm. You know, and it just, oh man, does that hurt? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And then they're, they're not cheap. I'm, I'm the the figure thirty thousand dollars comes to mind as far as producing this hologram. You mean that's what the today or what you no. paid Williams back then? What Williams got nicked for back then? Yeah, Nick. I'm not sure if that's correct or not, but I, for some reason that just sticks in my mind, and that incorporated the uh, making the sta- the original statue and getting it out there. You know, the the artist's fee. Jerry Pinsler, bless his soul, he was our sculptor. I love that guy. And he uh, found himself a nice Japanese model of the creature that we highly modified. I told him how I wanted it posed, and he did a, just a bang-up job with it. And that original model was done in shades of gray. So when they shoot it, everything comes out green. Huh. Yeah, so it was all done in shades of gray. There were two original models produced from the mold. I have one, and I gave the original gray one back to Jerry, and he passed away. I have no idea what happened to that gray model. I had three others that I've sold that were not completed because the, the, the arm that reached out was in a separate part of the mold. But the mold was just a, uh, a silicone mold, and I could only get five copies out of it. Oh, you mean before the mold degraded? Yeah, it just deteriorated. It was only, and I, I pushed another three out of it, and by that time, all the details started to get a little lost. And were, and were you doing the mold and, and the creating of all this right at Williams? Was this in-house? No, no, no. That was done by, uh, oh, God, what was the name of the company? It was on the Chicago's north side. There was a company that did the molding for us that uh, Jerry Pensler was associated with, or he had a working relationship with, I should say, and he covered all that off for us. Wow. Yeah, they, I mean, great game. Now, who was the artist that you were working with on that, that did, like, the play field in that? That was uh, my first uh, rendition with Kevin O'Connor. Okay, and, I mean, he did a spectacular job. Kevin is so easy to work with. You know, I, I, I went and showed him, I said, this is what we're doing with the game, I said, here's our concept, and uh, go for it. I, I, I like to create, you know, when I was leading a design team, to leave my... Artists, and I, I say that for everybody, artists, uh, let them create. Go for it. You know, this is, this is where the direction we're going in, and 
create something. And everybody usually comes up with a good product because they love it. Very yeah. seldom that I ever, you know, argue with somebody as far as uh, what, what they came up with. Now, the one thing that a lot of collectors noticed on that game is that there's like two versions of the playfield. One that was made by Tag, that the pink was more subtle and subdued. And then another playfield manufacturer, I believe, made the exact same playfield, but apparently when they did the, the, the Pantone colors, the pink was a hotter pink. Was that just a purely accident, or did you even, you know, I mean... Was yeah, that was an accident. It was? Yeah, I wasn't even aware of it. Okay. Uh, yeah, uh, the only the only uh, change we made, consciously, was in the uh, little red inserts that were underneath the, uh, the swimmer's body, because when they lit up, they made a suggestive uh, image, let's say, and it was something that was totally, totally innocent. But when they lit up, it went, oh, no, that doesn't go. So we changed those red inserts to, to white inserts. Gotcha. Now, when getting that license, how, how did that go? That was all done by mail. We never went anywhere for that. That was a, just a straight universal uh, license. Everything was done by mail and a telephone. And Roger had it all wrapped up and locked up. The only thing we couldn't use was the uh, actors' likenesses. We we got right to the to the song too, the creature from the Black Lagoon theme, and plus of all the rights to all the other songs we had in there, which were great. And uh, but uh, with the, uh, Richard Carlson, I guess, and uh, who was a girl named Gina and Gene something or other, but uh, we couldn't use their likenesses, so we changed them a little bit. I had my son's face put in there in the, in the pith helmet, just sort of held it. <laughs> so your son's face is where? He's the, uh, the hunter holding the gun on the back glass. Oh, okay. Gotcha. <laughs> now, what, now, was this an expensive license or not really? Not really. Okay. You know, we spent our money other, in other places. I spent the money on the hologram, you know? Right. And now, I was spent that the, the money most on the licenses for all the tunes, too, all, all, the, all the music. Now, was the... Um was this the most expensive game that you ever you ever did? Oh, definitely. Okay. Definitely. Yeah, great, great game. I mean, no, I had, and it reflects the fun everybody had making that game. Literally, we had a ball making that game. We were laughing, and when I came down, when when, when the prototypes first, the first ten games got put together, the new games got tested in, inside the factory, what we called at the bottom of the stairs, because the pinball engineering was upstairs, and at the bottom of these stairs going downstairs, there was like room for about six, six eight games. You're talking about like in the, in the eatery, in the cafeteria area, or are you talking about the game at the bottom of the stairs? The game at the bottom of the stairs. Right, because the game at the bottom of the stairs was always the current game, right? Right, right, or, or games, whatever right. was down there. Right. And so when that got put in there, and we had it working right, and everybody started wanting to play it. And okay, then I went away, I went up back upstairs to my office, and I came back down. And when I came back down, the people were just hovering around it. And the girls down there, they were dancing to the tunes. And I said, never seen that before. <laughs> they were actually dancing to the song. So you, this was probably one of your most rewarding games then, too. Yes, it was. Yeah, I had a good time. It was, it was nice to see a, a very successful game. 
So now the next game, Judge Dredd. Mm -hmm. Now, this, you know, being an American, I I was not aware of the English connection with the comic strip. Okay. You know, the only thing I ever saw, I saw the movie with Stallone. Uh And, you know, me being the mindless idiot that I am, I enjoyed the movie. <laughs> I like Stallone. Well, not, yeah, I, I Arnold movies, I can't get enough of. I I had the Judge Dredd theme because I'm a comic. I was a comic book collector. Still, kind of, I'm still a fan. But I used to read the Judge Dredd, Dredd comic book, and it was published. I'm sure it was published in England, but it was also published in the United States. And I said, this guy is just nasty. He's funny, nasty. He he brings everything to to a, uh, a new ridiculous point. And I wanted to do Judge Red. Well, then I found out that Stallone was going to be doing the movie. So I had the option of one or the other. And I said, I want to stay true to the comic. Now, why, though? I mean, going after the Stallone angle, I would think I, I would think Roger would be slapping you upside the head and say, come on. Well, it was a little. Uh, but I was. I just wanted to keep it. I wanted it to be the comic book. And I think I, I was glad I did that. Uh, that's what I was going to ask you. Looking back on it, you are glad? Oh, yeah. Most definitely. Why? This is, this is a true Judge Dredd game. It's not a Stallone game. I did a Stallone game. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I didn't want to do another one. And it wasn't that, really. It was just, I really, I wasn't really sure of what that uh, was going to bring to the table. I had everything I wanted with just the Judge Dredd character to develop this game. And putting Stallone in the mix was just almost making it more complex. Here we had the artists again, or the artist, I should say again, getting the approval from the studios in England to do all this. And, of course, that Kevin had to go through what Python went through with Warner Brothers. And I think the, the game was beautiful, too. Okay, John, we're going to take another break. Okay. Uh, we'll be right back. We're going to run a couple ads, and we'll be right back with John Trudeau, the uh, famous uh, pinball game design. Topcast is brought to you by Marco Specialty, your pinball parts superstore. Visit their website at marcospecialties.com. You can search for parts by game name, game make, or part number. Marco Specialties was founded in 1985 and is headquartered in Lexington, South Carolina. They specialize in pinball parts, supplies, books, and anything pinball. Marco has been online since 1996 is the web's oldest and largest pinball parts supplier. Their new 12,000-square-foot distribution center services 25,000 customers in over 50 countries. Feel free to call Marco Specialties at 803-957-5500. Marco Specialties, your pinball parts superstore at marcospecialties.com. Topcast is brought to you by Pinball Life. Give your pinball machine new life with parts from Pinball Life. We ship pinball parts worldwide. Pinball Life is located in the great city of Chicago. Their phone number is 773-202-8758. We have an open door policy, and you're welcome to call us with your questions and concerns. 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday. Their website is at pinballlife.com. Pinball Life. No hassles, just the parts you need best. Okay, we're back with John Trudeau, and uh, John, we're talking about Judge Dredd, and um, so you were pretty happy with this, with this, with this game licensing. The fact that you didn't do the Stallone, and that you stayed true to the comic strip. Yes, very much so. Because uh, you're, you know, you're a big fan of the comic. Mm-hmm. Exactly. 
Okay. Uh, the biggest, I think the the biggest fight I had on that game was getting that eagle put up on the top of the back back box. Really? Now, why was that such a big fight? Because it didn't bring anything to the game except cost. <laughs> I thought it. I thought it just it was like the ultimate statement for the game. Yeah, it's a nice crown. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, this is something. It's the overachievement that Judge Dredd always stood for. <laughs> right. Right. Now, what about the Dead World thing? Tell me about that. Well, you have to get into the comic book. The Dead World is uh, is Judge Dredd's nemesis besides the, the everyday average criminal. Of course, he has to have a super nemesis. And these are the dead judges. And there were three or four of them. I can't even recall right now. But uh, they lived in a place called Dead World, which I guess nobody can survive very long. And I, I, brought, I incorporated that uh, as a, uh, a ball trap feature. And unfortunately, I had to get rid of the holes in favor of slots so the ball could fall out by default. But then it it took the whole feature out of it because the balls couldn't go into orbit around the planet Okay, that I had wanted. Now, I understand they, there's a kit now. Why did they want you to do the slots? Because they were afraid that the crane would break and then we couldn't bring the slots out of the balls back out. Oh, you mean they, basically you, you the crane broke... No way to get the balls out of the slot. You just sit there and watch them spin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, pretty much. Ah, well, but it's like anything else. The ball goes into a ball popper. If the popper don't kick, you can sit there and watch it all day. Right. I mean, so... Yeah, the I wire falls off the coil. I understand their argument. Yeah, what I would have done, of course, this is uh, hindsight 2020. This is... Uh, um, Shaggy's view of Dead World. Okay, so what you do is, you know, you start the balls at 11 o'clock. They're rotating counterclockwise. And then at about 1 o'clock, you have a, a physical mechanism that the ball, nothing moving, but as that Dead World spins around, it, it kind of like two plates that come together that forces the ball out there. So the most it would make would be one revolution. And so See, even, that, that, was the, that was not what I had in mind. Okay, well, I wanted him to go literally in orbit, and the ball would just sit there and go round and round and round. Well, you see, that's why I'm not a game designer. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I never worked. That, that's the way the game was designed, so they would go round and round and round. But as soon as the prototypes that got to Europe, they are the ones that said, oh, man, this crane ever breaks. The, the forces that be over there uh, carried a lot of clout. They the pulled, European forces? Yes, because they pulled in half the production. Right. They were talking big numbers. And so, was it was it Nova in Germany that was like the big driver? Yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, Bondial in, in, uh, in France for Gottlieb. Right. Yeah, they, they, I mean, they, they took in huge amounts of games. Right. Yeah, yeah, like you said, close to, close to 50% of Williams' production was export. Mm-hmm. Well, that was pretty much the case for everybody. Matter of fact, for Gottlieb, I think it was even higher. I believe you're right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so then you went to and did the Flintstones based on the movie. The movie. The movie. Now, how did you feel about that one? Well, that one we went in to do the movie. And uh, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Because, uh, you know, Stallone was brought in as an, as an afterthought. And I was all set with, with, with the comic book. But uh, the Flintstones, uh, there was going to be a new revival of, of the, uh, the theme, in, you know, with the movie, with... Uh, John Goodman and Rick Moranis, and I said, that's perfect, let's go do that, that's a good license. So you actually went to the movie set for Flintstone? Yeah, that was fun. 
Yeah, we got, they actually built the the town of Bedrock in a quarry. And uh, where? There's two quarries uh, somewhere outside of Los Angeles, and one is always not being used every other year. This guy goes and blows up one quarry during one year, and he goes and blows up the other quarry in the next year. So the one that wasn't being used, he allowed the, the studio to put to build their uh, bedrock. And we were there just after they had finished shooting. And the town was still, you know, standing. So we, I took a ton of pictures and got me hanging out of the windows. <laughs> Where are these pictures? I have them. You're not, are you willing to share? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> and so was this the most fun game that you worked on? Hmm. You know, I had a good time doing all my games, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, I think the game I really cracked up on and laughed the most on was probably Judge Dredd. Why? It seems because like such a serious his game. His humor is so bizarre. And then uh, the things we could to do to make, you know, the fatalities worse and worse and worse. Now, who was who did the voices for Judge Dredd? I think Paul Heitch. Was, I don't know if he did the voices, but I, I know he he did the the sound package. And who came up with that super game concept? That was me. That was you? Yeah. And what was the thinking with that? Uh, just try something else. It doesn't cost us anything. Right. It'll make more money. Yeah, it pisses off the software guys, though. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nobody. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> who was the software guy that you were pissing off? <laughs> I am. I, you know... We probably had had to bring in, in, in uh, a couple of extra hands on that. Uh, Jeff Johnson was my uh, software guy. He's a new fella, started with Williams, and his first game was Creature with me. And he, fresh blood, he really liked being in the games industry, and he brought a lot of creativity to the table. So we went from uh, from there, and we, we segued right into uh, Judge Dredd, the same, pretty much the same design team, and we we were just having more fun with that. Now, on Flintstones, did you get to meet all the actors? Uh, no. No? Not in person. No. The audio hookup was done from studio to studio with uh, John Goodman and Rick Moranis. They did 99% of the speech calls. Were they easy to work with? Uh, yeah, John was professional about it. He wasn't real, uh, or I say real friendly about it, but he was very professional about it. He did, his, he did what he, we wanted him to do. And, uh, you know, if we asked him to do something, he would do it that way. Uh, Rick, however, was uh, over the top. He was bubbly. He, he suggested things. He said, oh, let me try it this way. No, no, I didn't like that. You know, it was crazy, yeah. But uh, These guys, it came out good. They both did a, a very professional job. When you, do a sound, when you do a sound session like that, do you do one guy and then the other, or are you doing them together? No, no, one guy and then the other. Uh, I think one was in New York, one was in California. I can't remember who was who right now. Okay. Okay. Now the um, did you ever did you have to work with any of the ladies from the Flintstones? No. 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 Uh, was it? I can't remember the. Uh, Rosie. Rosie was Faith Betty, and Elizabeth something. I can't remember her name. Is yeah, I don't Sorry. remember so much either. She played Wilma. But we did a couple. We just ripped a couple of speech calls from the uh, cartoon. <laughs> oh really? Yeah. Betty's laugh. Right. And then uh, something that Wilma said, too. Now, the bowling pins on that game, was that your idea? Yes. 
Okay, how did you, you know, how did, how did that come out? Oh, well, uh, the lodge, <laughs> the water buffaloes, <laughs> his bowling team. How could we that, that not be in, in part of the game? I, I, that was my favorite part of that game, was the bowling right. alley. Right, and, and the whole thing with the, um, the you know, the like the, 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 the literal rocks along the side of the game, I thought that was really cool. You know, when I first saw that game, I was like, oh, this looks so wild. You know, I'd never seen a pinball look like... houses? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, the rock houses, or uh-huh. the, the, you know, the, the set, as it may be. Mm-hmm. You know, was that, I mean, when you had those made, were they, like, you know, hand airbrushed or something? Pretty much. Yeah, but uh, but not a lot. There were uh, stencils that they put over them. Okay, because you made... They were able to uh, produce them, you know, mass produce them. Yeah, because there was 40, almost 4,800... Flintstones made. Mm-hmm. That's in, in nineteen in late 1994 or mid 1994, which was actually a really good production run for games at that era. Um, you know, during the mid 90s, things in the pinball industry were largely starting to take a little bit of a slump, and uh, numbers were, were were coming down. And so, a, you know, a game of almost five thousand actually was pretty strong back then. That, that was a good. I thought it was a good game. I had fun. And, How, you know, I liked incorporating the bowling game within the game, too. Right. I thought that was cool, too. So, I mean, there was a high bowler. You know, so I, I would play the game and just shoot for the ramp to go bowling because I wanted to complete the game. Now, the what, about, game. what about that, the, the uh, spinning rock crusher thing in the upper uh-huh. hand corner? No, that was, that, was, that was really a nothing thing. It was just something uh, to keep the ball busy again. Right. Like we did it in the creature with the, with the bowl. Right, right, right. And uh, shoot it up there and bounce the ball around a little bit. But the ball was uh, free animation, as it may be. I mean, there was no moving parts other Correct. than the ball itself. This yeah. thing actually was motorized. Right. And, and you had to have a, you know, some sort of entry switch and exit switch you mm-hmm. know, to tell it when to turn the motor on and off. So yeah, the motor timed out, but yeah. This was, was an expensive thing. Yeah, I had to, there again, that was the tie-in, a good tie-in with the movie because this, this concrete machine that uh, was in the quarry over there was part of the deal, and I wanted that to be part of the game too. Okay, fun game. I, I, you know, I like the game. I, I know some pinball players aren't a huge fan of it, but I thought it, it represented the theme really well. It, I think so too. I had a, I got a little flack for uh, passing that ball between the flippers. What do you mean with that backhand ramp? Yeah. Is that what you mean? I, I actually thought that was pretty cool. It worked. It worked a hundred percent. Not ninety-nine point nine. I've never seen the ball fall off of there. Right. No, I haven't either. <laughs> it just doesn't. Now, where, that particular idea, where did you grab that from? Was that like a you know something you just woke up one day with? I wanted to be able to return the ball to the right flipper from either ramp without crossing over the play field, you know, and, and blocking your shots. Right, and that's where it came down to. The reason I ask that is because in the late forties, Williams first, like you know, right after World War II, some of their first flipper designs used a kind of similar feature. It wasn't a ramp, but what it was is you plunge the ball in a normal, you know, ball plunger. It would go around. It would loop around the top of the uh, upper arch, mm-hmm. and then come down the left side. Mm-hmm. Down behind the flippers, come up again parallel to the shooter lane, 
and exit onto the playfield there. And I was well, just wondering if if you had any history was of this. More of a bagatelle game? No, no, it was pinball. It was, was it a flipper game? Yeah, it was flipper. Flipper. Then. Well, I don't remember that one. Yeah, the um, the Williams games in the forties that were named after cities. Uh, a couple. Of Boy, I got to look that up. Incorporated that. I have to look it up. I'm not wasn't aware of this. Okay, I was just curious if you are, you know if that was something that you know that you saw and and you know just kind of banked away or you know if this was just all coincidental. Yeah, uh, I had no idea they even existed. Okay, that's I'm just curious. Yeah, cool. You know because I am kind of a kind of a historian mm-hmm. in that I, I like Williams Wood Rails from from like the you know from their inception you know in particular like. The 1954 Williams Wood Rails to me are just awesome. There you go. I mean, they, you know, they they tried some crazy things with ramps and stuff that you know you didn't see again until literally till the 90s. Uh-huh. Always kind of when I talk to design people, I always kind of ask them, "Hey, did, did this have any influence? Did you even know about this?" And most of the time, they kind of they kind of say what you say in that, "No, I, I didn't even know that." Had know it. You know, but uh, yeah, I am I am not what you would consider a. Uh, a pinball fan. I am. I love creating the games. I like playing them. But to uh, you know, uh, to follow games and like a lot of the fandom does, I understand. You know, their love for the game. But uh, my love is in the creation. Gotcha. I enjoy doing that more than anything, and that's what kept this such a vibrant part of my life. Because here I, I created something, or helped create something, and when we were all done, it was you know it was a nice little uh, package, and everybody enjoyed it, and we played it for a little while, and they said, "Okay, now we get to do it again," you know. <laughs> <laughs> so you really look forward to going to work every day. I get. Oh, we did. Oh, we did. We definitely did. Okay. It was not work. It, it's amazing that you know you were having this much fun. It just makes me sick. Oh, I thought so too. I I always said. I always said that I wish everybody could experience this type of work for at least a portion of their life. It is just, Sign me up. It's just amazing. <laughs> now, I, I'm, John, I, um, you said that it was okay if we took calls. Sure. So I'm gonna I'm gonna yell out the 800 number to the world. You know, so anybody wants to take calls, and if for if for some reason I don't answer the phone, it's because we're on a good roll. <laughs> but here it is. It's one eight hundred. Call up and, and ask a question. So now we move to Congo, which was the kind of the last WPC-S or security game uh, that they made before WPC ninety five, uh, which is you know they kind of changed their hardware platform just a little bit in that era. Hmm. Um, what's uh, you know the the Congo? I mean, how did you feel about that game? That particular theme had been passed around engineering. At least twice. <laughs> it somehow landed on your. Nobody wanted to touch it. It landed on my desk. And uh, I now, said, how... okay, well, if I got it, let's go do it right. Were you forced into it? Oh yeah. Oh, you were. Oh yeah. So they said you were taking this one. Uh huh. Okay. Mm-hmm. I got Mr. Schober just handed me a picture of you proudly standing next to a Congo. Oh, good. <laughs> He's got all kind of pictures I've never seen. Yeah, the last Congo, because was this the last game that was made in the California? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And the last game that came off the production line, uh, we had the design team go out and sign the play field. Everybody. All right, John, we got somebody calling in. Yeah, Where, go ahead. Let's take him. Hello, you're on the air with John. John, how you doing, buddy? Good. How are you? Doing great. 
Listen, I'm kind of curious about the game that you uh, never got to make. What there, team, there was a couple of them. What's the one that sticks out in your mind? The one game you always wanted to do and never got a chance? Oh, Aces I wanted to finish. Let's not talk about Aces yet. Uh, that's something we want to bring up a little. We don't want to spoil that surprise. Just I also uh, pled my case for a Beatles-themed game at Williams, and I could not convince them to do it. That would have been a hard license. Hard. Oh, I, I thought it was easy. Oh, really? Oh, God. No, I mean a hard yeah. license to obtain. No, believe it or not. the the uh, All the principals were very interested. We were in the preliminaries. Uh, uh, the feelers were out there. We believed that Ringo would be willing to do speech for us. And She'd do speech for anybody if yeah. I asked him. Well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> and, I just kidding. And why not, you know? Yeah, well, sure. if they did Elvis, why not the Beatles, right? Oh, oh, I couldn't believe that I could not convince them to do the Beatles. I just, I was... Who was the resistance there? Uh, Kenny and, and uh, Neil. Right. Yeah. Okay. All right, well, I, hey, That was the only thing that I, I could not convince them to do. Well, thank you very much for calling. We appreciate it. That's a good question. Yeah, that's great. Thanks, guys. Okay. Sure. All right, John. John? Mm-hmm. Let, let me ask you about this. The, um... When you made Congo, I mean, was there was there any kind of bad blood going on because of that that theme? No, 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 no. It, no, it wasn't. It just it was just a theme that I didn't want to do. I, I had something else in mind that I wanted to do. Now you knew about the Williams beat time, right? What was that? Well, back in '67, they Williams had a game. Oh, beat time. Yes, yes. Time. Yeah, point. which was sure. Yeah, or the Boodles, you know, which yeah, was. Right. You know, I, you know, which was kind of interesting. Um, you know, the unlicensed version again. Yeah. Um, you know, so I mean, here they are going after a genuine license, which was kind of cool. Yeah, I wish I could have done it. I, I, I pictured it in my mind. It was going to be, I was going to take them up. This was going to be an early Beatles game up until like uh, through the movie Help, and do all, you know, incorporate a lot of their early stuff, the black and white, the uh, Edwardian looks. Wow. Yeah, I think it would have been great. And you're a big fan of the of the Beatles movies? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, the two. The other movies are, are a little... Hmm. <laughs> right. Mr. Shelberg is raising his hand again. Okay. Nah, just more about Congo. I mean, did, did, did you guys know this was going to be the last uh, production game at the California plant? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, because were, we were already getting everything all lined up to uh, for everybody to move. Hey, John, you want to take another call? Sure, go ahead. All right, let's uh, give it a whirl. Hi, you're on the air with John. Yeah, this is uh, Tom Rader calling from Cabinda, uh, Angola. Tom! Uh, how are you doing? Yeah, I know. It's about 2.30 in the morning, and uh, my question was going to be uh, about the, probably the cult favorite uh, game that John made as uh, Spirit Gottlieb. Uh, where did he get that idea? Because it seems to be uh, very popular with the pinball addicts. Yeah, Spirit came out real well. Yeah. That was uh, that was only my second effort over there too, and uh, I, it was kind of a uh, it existed between Black Hole and Haunted House kind of a thing, and uh, it, it it laid out real well, and it filled up a big playfield. Those are the wide playfields too. Yeah, they only made twelve hundred of them, and. Um Hard game to find, really. That's very, I understand. Yeah, a nice game, though. As a matter of fact, um, 
It's interesting that you brought that up because a friend of mine has been looking for that game for a long time. Just cannot find it. I saw it. a picture of somebody with like four or five of them sitting there. Well, let me know who that Probably is. Yeah, at the uh, Pinagogo, there were uh, four games lined up in a row last year. That's uh, probably uh, where it was. So that was kind of unusual to see that many games. Yeah, but I, I do like that game. I really enjoyed that. And yeah. I just lost my back glass on that game, too, in my last move. Tom, did you say you're calling from Angola? Yeah, I'm actually uh, about the, the half an hour north of the Congo River. You're talking about the Williams-Congo game. I am uh, work here in the oil field and uh, commute back and forth uh, between California and the oil field. So this is going to be my last tour of duty here in Africa. I'm going to come back home to uh, California and find work and uh, maybe retire and spend more time fixing up my uh, games that I have uh, in storage. Hopefully get them uh, more that's, of them working instead of just really uh, interesting. sitting at the uh, the movie uh, sets were all where they created created their their vision of Congo, and it was really amazing what they did inside of the set to make it look real. Well, thank you, Tom. I appreciate the call. All right, enjoy listening to the show. I missed the first hour, but uh, I've been listening since two uh, a.m. in the morning here, so I'll uh, listen some more. Thank you. All right, okay, take care. Are you still with us, John? Hey, yeah. Okay. Now, You're going to get rid of me that easy. Wait, Mr. Shelburne's raising again. his hand again. Here he well, is. about Congo also uh, uh, switched companies. Did it not? Uh, it started out its life as one com- as one brand and switched to another one. Oh yeah, that was pretty much. Uh, at that point, when I started at Williams, they were separate uh, games because Bally had been purchased. I guess not too soon before that. And so the, the the game still looked different. They made an effort to keep the valley looking one way and the Williams looking another. Around the time of the creature, because the original creature was, artwork was done originally as the, the old valley. And then they decided just to make every game the same. We're just going to put a different tag on them. Right, yeah, like Black Rose, for instance, had the old valley. Look. Right. And Creature was going to have that back box, back box too. But they changed it just prior to that, and then Kevin had to go and do his back glass over. I think Johnny Mnemonic was the first game that had that molded Yeah, the speaker. molded DMD panel right. that was black, and it just said either Williams or Bally along mm-hmm. the bottom, and they just they just swapped them. Mm-hmm. I actually have a couple of those panels brand new. I, I don't know why, but I do. It, you know, the, for no good reason. <laughs> <laughs> there were sets of plastics and things all made with both um, uh, both company names on. Yeah, right. And like I said, when you when we got down to Congo at that time period, it really didn't matter which game name we put on it, Valley or Williams. Okay, so everybody now, knew it was the same company. So now you did Congo, and you moved, and we're starting to work on a game called Ace. What, it, it, right? Did you have or Aces? I'm sorry, Aces. Now, I know nothing about this game. As a matter of fact, the only reason I know anything about it is Mr. Shelburne. Yeah. <laughs> and he, you know, know I know Mr. Tudor. So. Yeah. So why don't you tell us about this? Uh, Aces was going to be the next one in line. We had a, uh, we, were, we were trying to build up a, a whitewood. We didn't have a working whitewood. We had, I had one carved up pretty much and had the inserts in it, but it wasn't wired or anything. We were working on the mechanisms that was going to go in the game. And it was pretty much, we were going to call it, thanks to my uh, artist friend, uh, Kevin O'Connor, he says, well, we can't just call it Aces, we've got to call it something else. And he came up with the suggestion, let's call it Aces Escape from the Bermuda Triangle. 
And I thought about it, and I thought about it. I said, you know what, that sounds pretty cool. So let's do it that way. <laughs> and so that's what it was going to be. And he had given me a uh, just a pencil sketch of the side of the cabinet that his concept was for the logo and, you know, and, and the general art feel. And that's as far as it got. Did that sketch somewhere, Jeff? Mm-hmm. And I thought I sent it to you, no? Maybe. No, I'll have to look. <laughs> no, what, I forget. What was the, you know, when they were trimming down the teams, uh, which I assume that's what you kind of got caught up in at, mm-hmm. at the at the Williams thing. What, what's, uh, I mean, was this like a big surprise, or was it just... Yeah, pretty much. It was. They just yeah. walked in one day and said, guess what? Yeah, you walk in one day and your badge doesn't work. Well, it was really that cold? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, it was cold. <sighs> Just one day, you mean you're sliding that thing through, and it's like, and it, it doesn't, and it comes up red instead of green, you know. Uh, and did you just like shake your head and you knew? What yeah, I thought something screwed up. That's all. And, and somebody came out the door, and I went in. And then what? Well, then I got into my room, and somebody finally came around, and uh, I think it was Larry. Uh, finally, said, "Come on, you know, we got to talk." So then, uh, then I found out. Oh. Who, who else was involved in that too? It was uh, Barry Elser. Barry Osler and uh, Dennis Nordman from the designer. And they were just, they just wanted to cut the teams down to smaller, smaller. I guess. And it was just, was it just the economic times? Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They were making uh, a better return on their investment off of uh, gambling pieces, too. Right, because the slot machines were now, they were finally out of litigation with IGT. Because IGT was trying to drag them through the courts for as long as they could. And Pinball at the time was supporting this in, you know, legal mess as it may be. Um, and then, they, I think you're right, by 95, 96, they were finally out of that mess. Um, and finally kicking out some slot machines, and I think that was just the beginning of the end where, you know, you could see... And you have to remember that the, although you know, Kenny and Neil supported the pinball, while it was a viable product, they're businessmen. And this is why I say that I don't think they were real you know, pinball people. No, I... And they opted think so either. <laughs> to go with what's best for the company. I, and I can and remember... Business, a good businessman will do that. I can remember hearing a story that when they actually showed... Pinball 2000 for the first time uh, to Neil that he was pissed off. That he was pissed off that it w- because he gave those guys like an ultimatum. Said, look, you guys reinvent pinball or you're all out of here. Knowing or thinking that they couldn't do it. And when they actually showed Pinball 2000 to him, I guess he was just furious because he saw the potential that that platform actually had. I, I don't know it. Yeah, it's just a spread. I'm spreading vicious rumors. Yeah. I'm I'm real good at that, <laughs> you know. But I already was just so mad that you know these guys, you know, you know that he, you know, because it it was kind of an amazing thing that they did, you know, really for what it was, you know, it, it was incredible that they they pulled that. Well, the the, um, the the Beatles game that I had referred to earlier, I did show them a scaled down foam core. You know, foam core is the little sure, yeah. Uh, I made a foam cork, uh, small scale cabinet of the of the Beatles game that also used that inverted play field that I talked about from Gottlieb. Right. And I wanted to do that for the Beatles game. And I showed it to him, and I showed him the effect uh, how one play field disappears into the other one, and it looks like it's like you know three feet past the play field that you were looking at before. 
it, but it plays just the same. And it's really cool. But like I said, this was a scaled down thing, and, uh, and they were going, they were hemming and hawing and hemming and hawing. And they says, well, this is a good idea, but why don't you put a monitor up there or some shit? So I don't understand, you know, his, his surprise because. So you were surprised when you saw Pinball 2000? Kind of. But not again, you know, it's, it was a good idea. I'll, I've been trying to do it for years. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> no, I think all they, and what they did was great. It was perfect. Yeah, you were doing it since 86 with Demons. Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, but it's, it's just, you know, like I said, it's, it's, it's that kind of 3D thing that I'm, I'm a fan of, you know, with the 50-50 mirrors and stuff like that. So when you when you got out of Williams, then you kind of went to a, what, a some sort of design or, or, or decorating type design company? Yes. Yeah, uh, a point of purchase display company. Was that was that a good job? Mm, it was okay. Okay, something to do. Yeah. yeah. Keep the wolf from the door. And then you went to Churchill. Well, I you know I never went to Churchill. Oh, you I was just not, I was just a consultant at Churchill. Uh, he never hired me. And at that point in time, I had an offer for a job out by my son. My son was in Iowa uh, doing some AutoCAD work. And I said, well, you know, I'm going to take this. I said, I'm gonna, and I gave uh, Roger Juba the uh, option of hiring me full time, okay. and he said no. <laughs> so I decided, you know, I took the job in Iowa, and I was coming in every few weeks, and he wasn't real happy with that. So we parted ways. I'm going to spew out the 800 number again. So you know, in case somebody wants to ask another question, it's one eight hundred. If you want to call up and ask John Trudeau a, a, a pinball-related question, so then you ended up at Ice, and I, I'm kind of a big fan of Ice uh, out of Buffalo because I love Czechs hockey. Yeah, oh yeah, they're <laughs> they're big claim to fame. Oh yeah, because they've been making that game since '83 nonstop. Yep, you know, and um, I love that game. I, I really do. So you went there in the hopes of resurrecting pinball in and in, in Buffalo, New York. Yes. Okay, now how did that go? That uh, went well for 90 days. <laughs> <laughs> and what, what? They only gave you 90 days, huh? No. It was their decision. They moved me out there. They paid for the entire move from Iowa to New York and uh, set me up, and and I said, great. And they had a, a, a fantastic theme to work with. We were, good, we were working with uh, Caddyshack, and this is going to be a pretty funny game. Bill Murray was involved. And I was all hot about it, about it, and had a play field all designed for them. I still have the design. I was, by this time, I'm working in a new software called SolidWorks, which is three-dimensional. And you could actually put things together in it. All right, Johnny, want to take a call? Go ahead, go ahead. All right, let's see what happens. Hi, you're on the air with John. Yeah, I have a question about uh, Judge Dredd and uh, the catch underneath the Dead World mod to see what that was originally supposed to be intended to be used for. That was just there in case the ball fell in. There was never any idea of bringing that in as a part of the game. What it also did was give the world, the dead world, a uh, a better sense of depth, like it was floating out there, because we cut that area of the play field away to make it deeper and put that pan underneath. So the, the world stood out. Interesting. Really so it was never meant to be anything besides just a, a basic catch. That's all. That's it's all just it really interesting. Emma, I contacted you about a year ago. Um, I've been, uh, actually two years ago, I was a big fan of, and still am, of Judge Dredd and 
helped in vitalizing and getting that uh, proto-mod going, actually. But uh, it's really also interesting on how you got the whole theme of Judge Dredd correct, because I am a big fan of the comic book, and it's very interesting how the movie, uh, they really missed it, uh, especially by not incorporating any of the dark dark judges. And it's very interesting that, you know, yours came out, the, the machine came out first, and that's, you basically got it. That's, that's, that's right. That's why I, I, was, I was happy with going with the comic book. And I thought that bringing the movie in would just be uh, more of a bother than anything else and probably wouldn't be true to the, to the uh, theme. And I was, I, I was happy I did. Probably wasn't a bad decision either because the movie really didn't do all that well. Yeah, it was okay. Yeah, it was okay. That's a good way to put it. I mean, I know there's Stallone movie, so I wouldn't saw it, you know. <laughs> but the movie could have done so much better if they would have followed the theme of the pinball machine in the comic, if they would have really stuck with the, the era of the, the Dark Judges. I agree. I agree. There was a lot There was a lot to be desired. Anything else that you wanted to incorporate on Judge Dredd that you ended up not incorporating on there? No, I noticed, don't. like, uh, like the nuclear power plant shot on <laughs> the right corner. That, yeah. uh, has the world is a, the world's a nasty place to live in his era. <laughs> and uh, a lot of the, that uh, gallows humor is reflected in, in, in some of the modes where there, there are fatalities and, yep. and just all kind of goofy little things. And, that's why I loved it, and we, we really laughed when we were making that game. Any any move your cars type stories? Not on that one. No, you know, everything, everything was pretty straightforward. We were uh, we had we had a lot of shots, and uh, I think my my biggest thing besides the the dead world was trying to stack the ra- how many ramps can I stack up? <laughs> yeah, you sure did. Good job on that one. <laughs> and over in the right corner, I think I got three or four of them up there. All right, well, thank you, caller. appreciate it. All right, thank you very much. Thanks, thank John. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Okay, John, that was pretty good. That, I mean, that was a nice question, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. As opposed to a bad question, right? Yeah, well, believe me, I'm sure there's no... I, I've had no shortage of those, trust me, um, <laughs> including in this uh, in this interview. So, you know, what happened with ice? I mean, why 30 days and, and why... You know, 90 days. Or 90 days, I'm sorry, 90 days. Why 90 days and in, in out? What was All that? All right, well, when I got there, we... We set up uh, the program. I started working in an office, uh, started laying the game out, and uh, I had some sketches that I already, I already worked up. And about 30 or 40 days into that, we, wanted, we went over back to Chicago to see if uh, we could purchase the Williams system. Hold on just a half second here. Hold on just a second, caller. Go on, John. I'm sorry. Oh, then, so the, we went to see the system, and what was left of the assets from the pinball uh, was was really it was really sad to see. Uh, everything was just put in a warehouse and uh, on shelves. There was some old tooling and uh, laying around and all dust covered already. And it was just, it was sad to see the glory that was uh, the Williams pinball machine just reduced to. Alex Punk, right? Yeah, it was a sad feeling. And and then we evaluated the, their operating system, and their operating system was obsolete. All the chips on it. Right. The, uh, All the WPC stuff, out of that, out of that stuff. purchase would have been the pets. Right. And, and what is that really getting you? Not much. Well, it gives you a... Well, patents were, were a big thing between the companies. They shared them only because it was easier to share 
than a list fight. And we got a caller, another caller on the yep. line right now with a question on, uh, what's your first name? Hello? Hello? Yes, what's your first name? Hey, this is Ken in Texas. Hey, how you doing, Ken? What's your, what's your question for John? I've, I've got two questions. The first question is the match sequence on Judge Dredd. Um, if I, if I owned one in the past. If memory serves me, that's with the lady with the shotgun, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, she she does the reverse on a drive-by. Well, my question is, doesn't she fire three shots? I believe so. How did she get three shots out of a double barrel? Oh, yeah, that's true. Maybe it was just an over and under, or was it a, was it a side-by-side? I think it's a side-by-side. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> and I just wondered if there was something to that or just... No, never thought, of, never thought about it. Nobody did. Oh, now that's a good question. That's a good one. A good catch. Uh, my second question, I actually sold that game to buy a creature. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a big drive-in movie theater fan. And uh, my question is, when you were designing that game, did you have a, a specific theater that you used to frequent um, that helped you in that? or Not uh, one more than another, no. Okay. Uh, they're, they're all pretty much the same. I, I lived part of my life in the Air Force, and I went to theaters in uh, Nebraska and Texas and everywhere. And they, they all looked the same. Well, they, they got a green, they all got a little, little booth with a projector and, and a crummy snack bar. Right. <laughs> and it swings up by the screen, you know. They're all the same. Very good. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. That was fun. It. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. All right. All right, so you're, you're, the ice thing, you, so you go and look at the Williams stuff, and there's just nothing. There's nothing there. There's nothing there. So, like, we they were back, I, I worked for a few more weeks on, and, uh, by this time, we're getting up to that 90-day thing, and uh, they just came up to me one day and said, hey, we're going to shut the pinball thing off. It's just not uh, not worth it. And I believe they had been getting a lot of grief over the telephone, over not getting these patents. Oh, you mean because they were going to try From outside oh. sources. You want to take another one? Sure. All right. Yeah, it's Gary Fowl, friends from England. Gary, how are you? Hi, Gary. I'm doing all right. Good show. Hi, Gary. How are you? I'm fine. I'm just trying to work out what's going on. Hi, hi, John. How's it going? Real good, real good. Good, good. Um, I was wondering if you'd be willing to share with us um, what went on with those cocktail tables you did when you were with um, Premier. I got to do... Uh, I was privileged to, to, to be able to do those for Premier for a an outside source called International Concepts. They had an idea to license uh, areas for uh, exclusive play. I don't know how they did it, but that's what their deal was. They sold the game and the area where they sold this game. So if you had, uh, just a, say, a Hyatt Hotel, uh, those Hyatt Hotels in Kansas City or, or whatever, those were yours. Nobody else could go in there with a, with another one of those pinball machines. That was their idea behind it, and uh, I guess it was somewhat successful because we did too. But uh, I, they're tough to lay out those little cocktail machines. They're short and they're wide. Right, and c- kind of strange gameplay. Oh yeah, very definitely. Very. I mean, you shoot the ball, it's back. <laughs> right, it's at the. It's either up at the top arch immediately or down at the flippers immediately. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I think I did a little better with the second game because I moved the flippers off to the to the right and I put a single flipper on the left side. Yeah, they didn't make a ton of those either. Just you know, so I, I'm not, I would say uh, six hundred maybe. Right, right. Not, not many, but I, I've always been a fan of them. Uh, I had a friend that I 
was living by in, in Pennsylvania, uh, Ron Schuster, who has a huge collection of pinball machines. Well, which do you consider the second game? I'm sorry, what? Sorry, it's, it's a very poor connection. Which sequence did you design them in? Was um, it Caribbean Cruise first, then Night Moves? The other way. It was the other way? Yeah. I think IP TV list and the other way round. That's why I asked the question. Yeah, Night Moves was first because that was pretty symmetrical. The bottom, right. And Caribbean Cruise, I moved the flippers over. Right, and there's more of nine Night Moves around than there are of Caribbean. It seems to me. Mm -hmm. So okay, thanks for that. Hey, Gary, good to hear from you. Take care. Take care. Bye bye. Bye. Okay. Hey, seemed to work out okay. All right. So now you're done with ice. Well, we're done making pinball machines. Oh, so you mean you kept your job? Yeah, they didn't. They, they were willing. Nice to they moved me there. <laughs> it's like, well, move me back or keep me. What do you want to do? So I said, well, why don't I stay on and see if I can learn how to do uh, their brand of, of games? And kind of uh, big on redemption. Redemption, yeah. Right. And it's not as interesting as creating a pinball machine. No worries. Yeah, not. because the rule set is. <laughs> pretty shallow. <laughs> yeah, and your your game sometimes lasted all of about ten or fifteen seconds. Well, yeah, you know, and your you roll your quarter down, boop, done. Yeah, and your and your target audience is uh, you know three feet tall. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Look, mom, look, dad, I got ten thousand tickets. Well, that'll get you a comb, dear. Yeah, you know, look at your comb that you didn't really need. Yeah, exactly. So we just paid ten dollars for uh, yeah a comb, five cent plastic comb. Congratulations. Congratulations. All right, we'll get another call. You want to take it, John? Sure. Okay. Hi, you're on the air with John. Hi, Clay. Hi, John. How you doing? I'm good. Good. John, i got a question for you, and I don't mean this in a bad way at all, but do you have an obsession with playing with a pinball right in front of the flipper area? I think of so many games that you've done, like Congo and Creature have the windows that, you know, the ball can occasionally be caught and, you know, Throw this way or that window. by that. Or Flintstones, you got the big old ramp that comes around, the ball can fall down there. It never fell. There's uh, several games like that. It never fell off that ramp. But <laughs> the windows, <laughs> the windows, however, I've heard before, and I, I understand, Black Rose is the same thing. There's all in a play right. field. And I understand where you're coming from. Uh, it just, to me, it seemed like, why not use that space? Okay. That, that was my thought. And, you know, the, the window in Congo is the exact same window that was in Creature. It's right. just turned upside down. And, but it was just like, it's a good window. We can play with this. And when the game's adjusted right, it plays right. But that's the whole thing. Yes. You know, bad slingshots make the games stink, too. But, uh, yeah, I understand. No, I, I, I just always wanted to maximize my utilization of space. Okay, and, that's a fair argument, I guess. It always bugged me a bit, but that's all right. I, I still think that uh, the, it, it, it's one of those the ball is wild moments when it, uh, yeah, when it does I just, happen. I, I didn't like it either because when my games did that, I went in and adjusted the window right away. <laughs> <laughs> I understand where you're coming from. Thanks, John. Sure. It's a kiss. All right, that was an interesting... Uh... Yeah, but he's right. But I've heard that, and I, and I agree with it. But that's the way I design Right. Well, that no. makes things different. <laughs> yeah, no, it sure does. It sure does. So, how long did you stay at ICE for? A couple of years. Okay. Yeah. And what, did you just get to the point where it just wasn't fun? No. It wasn't my cup of tea. Uh, I found very little creative freedom. I was more or less uh, relegated to the role of 
redesigning other people's games. Right. Getting them ready for production. Nice. And which is okay, but that's not what I was brought out there to do. So, so now, when did... thing would have been a disappointment, I think. Now, when did the Vacation America thing come up? That was prior to that. It was prior to ICE? Yeah, that was prior to my going to Iowa. Okay. Okay, I'm just trying to get an idea of... Uh, yeah. yeah, that was uh, just before I, I left the, the state, went to Iowa for about a year or two, and then I went up, I had the opportunity to go to New York, I went to Buffalo for a few years, I was there for about three years. And, and so, have you talked to Stern at all about doing games? No. No? No. Are you interested in doing games? I don't think so. I'm starting a pinball company, you sure? <laughs> Possibly. I'll hire you. Possibly. <laughs> you I move? had an opportunity <laughs> to uh, work with uh, Gary many, many, many years ago when Data East was first forming their company. And they were... Seducing me, <laughs> and, but it to come over t- to their side. But this was when you were. I was with Premier. You with Premier? Yeah, and I. You interviewed with them. Well, more of an, uh, a seduction than an interview. <laughs> they wanted me to be there, and I, 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 did, I finally just told them no. I have an agreement. I have an, a valid contract. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to get out of it that way. And I stayed with Premier. Was there any particular reason why Data East wasn't that attractive? I mean, well, it was it was starting it was starting another company all over again. Oh, so this, you mean this was right at Data East inception at 1987-ish? Yeah, yeah, before they before they existed. Right before Laser Wars. Oh yeah. Right. Okay, so this is probably even earlier than that, 85, 86, somewhere in there. Yeah. Because that was Gary and Cameco were the. Were well, after I, Joe came in after I, I didn't get involved. Oh, okay. Okay, so you didn't have to deal with Joe. No. Other than the fact that he worked at Premier for a very short period of time, though. Oh, that's right. He did. Mm-hmm. Actually, he worked pretty much everywhere. <laughs> did you work with him? I worked by him. Joe is a hard worker. Right. right. Yeah, I've never talked to him. I don't know anything about him. leave a little bit to be desired. I'm just, yeah, I'm just uh, the spreader of vicious rumors. That's my job. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I, and I start some pretty wild ones, too, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a troublemaker. I am. But it's all in fun. It's all in fun. Well, John, yeah, I, we're going on uh, almost two hours here. I, I, I'm probably going to probably going to wind this down a little bit. Um, is there anything that we left out that you want? Yeah, that, just the last effort that Jim hooked me up with was Fox Sports. Oh, I, I completely forgot about that. That's, you did the Major the only, League Baseball. That's the only thing we didn't touch on. <laughs> yeah, tell <laughs> us about that. Machine. I am sorry. I'm no, sorry. No, that's okay. Well, that, was, that just completed it. Right. And, uh, that was that worked out to be a wonderful thing. While I was in uh, Buffalo and no longer with uh, ICE, I was working at a little medical supply house, uh, helping them with their testing gear. But uh, this came along, and Jim says, "You interested?" I says, "Hell yes!" So Shelberg set you up with this? Yes. Oh my God! I can't yeah. believe the stinky foot guy <laughs> did this. Yes. And so we, uh, I talked with the guys at Fox, and then they set me up with the, their studio out in California called Blind, B-L-I-N-D, and uh, talked with the... Wait, 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 why is it called Blind? That's the name of their company. And no apparent reason? Mm-mm. Just, this is California. Right. That's the reason enough, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much explains <laughs> it all. I love California, don't get me wrong, I lived there if I could, 
but uh, it's just an unusual, all lowercase blind. And then uh, I, I believe the name was uh, the fellow's name was Chris Doe, who uh, was, was the lead on, on this uh, idea. And we've talked many times, and I uh, sent the uh, the sketch back and forth via you know email and got their feedback what they wanted in the game and they wanted a two-level game and they wanted it to look like a baseball and they wanted wire ramps and vacuum ramps and this and that. And so what I ended up with is a game that I really would like to produce. <laughs> you mean you, you did a game where a TV commercial mm-hmm. sponsored the Major League Baseball game in Detroit. Yeah, the All-Star game. The All-Star game. Right. right? And basically you designed a killer game <laughs> that was animated for commercial, and and that's as far as it got. Yes, right. Yeah, I still have the original uh, white wood. You made a white wood. No, not a white wood. I, I work in the 3D solids down in, in in software. Right. And I have all this. Yeah. I have all this. This can be created. All the drawing, all the uh, files for the ramps and the play field and everything. It could really be created. And also with the game that I, I had from Ice, I was working in SolidWorks, and, and that, that uh, Caddyshack could be creative. You see, this plays right into my pinball company that I'm starting. Okay. <laughs> and those designs on over. All right. All right. And so you you had a lot of fun doing this? Oh, that was like manna from heaven. You know, I would have done that thing for free. And they paid you. <laughs> they paid me. <laughs> and how long did it take to, to do this whole I thing? I turned that game out in two weeks. Oh, I, I worked good. a lot of hours. There were no weekends. I worked. Uh, I would think it was it was like uh, twelve days straight. Doctor Flag. Long days. Oh my gosh, two weeks. Yeah. I hope they paid you for more than two they weeks. They paid me well. They did. Yes, and I was happy with it. And I got a uh, DVD of the commercial out of it. <laughs> also. Right. Right. That seems kind of like a. That's kind of a nice thing on the resume, though. I'll tell you. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Great thing. Well, cool. Is there anything else that I managed to screw up and leave out? Uh, no. <laughs> Nothing that you know about. <laughs> All right. John, I really, really, really appreciate you coming on the show. This was... Oh, you're quite welcome. Incredible. You're quite welcome. Um, I mean, I, I just... The, the, you know, you've had an unbelievable career. Um, yeah, yeah. I look back on it, it was, wow. <laughs> From one place to another to another. <laughs> Well, thank you again. We're, we're talking with John Trudeau, famous pinball designer through Game Plan, Gottlieb, Premier, uh, Williams, Ice. You've been all over the place, man. <laughs> oh, yeah, you know where it goes, man. Yeah. I've been following the ball. Yeah, Fox Sports, man. you you got to love it. Yeah. Right, well, thank you, John. You're quite welcome, guys. Really appreciate it, and I hope to talk to you again. Okay, glad to do it. Okay. Okay. Care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.